Welcome back to another episode of the all new, all different Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pavla, also known as JPAV, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And this is the show where we overanalyze the smallest of things. Sometimes, not all the times. Perhaps today, not as much. We will be doing some overanalysis if that's what you're into, which I hope it is because you're listening to this episode. Today, it is just I, no, no other podcast people. You're stuck with me for as long as you listen to this episode. So I hope you're okay with that. I know I am. Today's episode is about philanthropy. If you did not read the description, we're going to be talking about philanthropy. And is it a good idea? Should people be philanthropic? That's a word for you. Or not? Or should we do other things? Should we minimize philanthropy? But before we get into that, first things first, our non-legal legal disclaimer, and that is simply that the opinions expressed by me and by others should they appear are simply that our opinions we're not saying that we hold the ultimate truth or that only what we say is correct or that no other viewpoints are correct it is possible to disagree with us in fact i wouldn't say i'd encourage you to disagree with me but i would definitely encourage you to think critically of what i say or what anyone says to you or anything that you hear or read on the internet or anywhere else. So with that out of the way, our topic for today, which as I have previously said, is philanthropy. So what is philanthropy if you are unaware? So I looked up a definition. I think this is just from Wikipedia. It's nothing fancy. I don't think we need to start out, you know, going all crazy here. Uh, But basically, You can describe it as uh, private initiatives that are for the public good and that they generally are supposed to focus on quality of life. So basically, it's someone with their own money who want to donate or give money to a specific cause. So that could be donating or making charitable donations to uh, specific organizations, to specific institutions for specific purposes. It could be developing your own institution could be setting up your own project or scholarship or something along those lines that generally the idea is supposed to be a public benefit. So, for example, you can think of someone donating to the children's hospital, which we'll get into later with an example of, of, of that or setting up a, a scholarship fund, either like, you know, at the high school level our university level. So, you know, if you meet these requirements, here's a scholarship you can apply to. And, you know, we will give someone of a certain background, because, you know, you set the conditions, the opportunity to have their schooling paid for, or maybe not completely, but a certain amount, like a thousand dollar scholarship. That's something you can set up or you can set it, uh, give money to uh, cancer research. You can donate things to like museums, you know, or you can build the infrastructure. So you could build like a playground or like a public square. We're going to renovate this historic building and set it up as like a public space that people can like rent out or I don't know, something along those lines. That's basically the idea of uh, philanthropy, at least like in a nutshell. I'm sure it can be more complicated and you can get into more diverse things with it, but that's the general uh, idea of it. What I'm thinking is, my question is, is this good? Should we have philanthropic causes? Are they bad in and of themselves? Is there something else we can do in their stead? These are the questions I will attempt to answer. I have no guarantee that I have an answer, but we'll kind of go over this throughout the course of the episode. 
if you want the quick version, I don't think we should really focus heavily on philanthropic causes. I mean, if you're someone who wants to, I, I would say, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, in general, I don't have an issue, but I don't think we should overly rely on them. And there's a couple of reasons. So my main my main issue, the main issue I have with philanthropy is the same our previous thing uh, item that we talked about. If you go back to our the episode of Corporations Are Not Your Friend, where me and fellow podcast person Alex talk about the ways that, you know, corporations try to seem as though they're your friend, that they're trying to do things for your benefit, for your interest. But in reality, they're not. Once you dig past the surface, you realize that it's all kind of really superficial. And their main goal, a company's main goal, a corporation's main goal is to generate profit. Uh, well, I mean, for the company and executives, but mainly for their shareholders. And so philanthropy or philanthropy, however you want to pronounce it, kind of focuses on the same thing. Now, you can have companies that do philanthropic causes, but you also can have private individuals who do philanthropic causes. So they could be people who are relatively wealthy. I mean, you don't have to be super wealthy, but generally it's you know people who are really rich, like you might read, you know, Bill Gates or, or Jeff Bezos, they say they're going to donate, you know, 90% of their money or give away 90% of their money or what, you know, whatever the value is, X percentage, maybe Elon Musk. I don't know. Think of any rich person that, you know, in the general uh, public who says, yeah, I'm going to give away. I have a foundation. We're giving away majority of our money over time. So it's the same kind of idea that it's not for your benefit, even though it, it is presented as though it is. So it's usually presented as though it's a public good. I'm doing this for the good of my community. I want to give back to my community. And on the surface, I don't have an issue with that. Wanting to do good for your community, wanting to donate, you know, money to a museum so that they can expand or, you know, include different things in their collection or renovate the, the building that they have or build a whole new building. On the surface, I don't have a problem with that. Same with like donating to a hospital, building a new wing or the hospital can get some machinery or whatever. On the surface, don't have a problem with that. Don't have a problem with sending kids to school or, you know, doing things for like the homeless or anything like that. On the surface. It's good. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. But we got to dig below the surface because there's more going on here than just, oh, I want to give back to my community. It may be true, but there's more going on there. One of the things that kind of, I guess, put me on this path uh, as to thinking about, you know, philanthropy a little bit more in depth is I was watching a YouTube video that I will provide a link to in the show notes. And it wasn't about philanthropy, like specifically, it was talking about micro and dirty jobs. Now, I don't know if you remember that show, but very quickly, if you're unfamiliar with it, it was a show starring Mike Rowe, who is a guy. He was the presenter and like host and he would go around and basically show dirty jobs. So it's kind of like the, I guess, kind of like blue collar level work, you know, rough and tough jobs that most people probably wouldn't want to do. But these are the kind of jobs that need to get done to, you know, keep things moving along smoothly. So it could be someone who's like a miner or something like that, right? Or someone who works at a waste treatment facility or a water treatment facility. It's kind of like those jobs where you kind of got to get down and dirty, get your hands dirty and do the work. I remember watching it from time to time when I was like younger. It was interesting to look at, you know, just these kind of things that you didn't really think that, hey, oh, this is something that needs, this is work that needs to be done. So to me, it was an interesting look at that, that kind of stuff. But the video was kind of like, uh, critical of Mike Rowe because he has a position like since because the show has has ended. Uh, I don't know exactly when it ended, but it's ended for a while. But, uh, you know, Mike Rowe has continued as like a 
media, I guess, personality and like giving talks and like speeches. And I, I think he has a scholarship. <laughs> Speaking of philanthropic causes. Uh, and was talking about kind of like the dangerous ideas that he's putting forth based on his reputation as this kind of like blue worker guy, even though he's not really that. He like played one as like the host or presenter of the show Dirty Job. So that kind of gives him or gave him that reputation, even though you could argue he doesn't really deserve that kind of reputation based on his background. And so part of what he does now is shtick is that... um you know, he's advocating for people to like not go to college necessarily and, and do these like, um, cause they're not, they're not minimum wage jobs. They tend to be higher paying, but these kind of like blue collar jobs because you know, they need to be done. But the video kind of points out his like double standards and hypocrisy. One of which being like, Hey, don't go to university, even though he's someone who uh, is a university graduate. And has talked about how his degree has served him well. But I think one of the main things that it criticizes him on is his insistence that you shouldn't folk as a worker working these jobs, which can be dangerous. Like if someone's a coal miner, for example, like it's a dangerous job. He would be someone that's saying that whoever owns the mine, the company, they don't need to provide you or you shouldn't be asking for like safety measures put in place. You know, you don't worry about that. The company... They're going to do it. But if you've worked for a company, you know, like any manufacturing or anything, you know that that's not necessarily going to be true. The company's going to cut corners wherever it can because the company's goal is to make money. It doesn't really care about employee safety or none of that. So if they can get away with not having safety regulations in place, they will because it's going to save them money. And, you know, an accident could happen, a mine uh, site or mine shaft can collapse. And then it's kind of like, ooh. I don't know what happened there. You know, we're terribly sorry. But if you're someone that got hurt or injured or killed, like by that point, it's too late. So that's kind of like the focus of the video. Like I said, I'm going to link it in the show notes. If you want to watch it, to me, it's very interesting. You may find it interesting. I'd recommend you go check it out. But in that video, there's a small clip where they have a guy. Unfortunately, in the video, it's not labeled or perhaps didn't look closely enough uh, who who he is. But he's someone who's like a journalist and he's talking about how, you know, companies, corporations, wealthy individuals, they're not there to serve your interests through philanthropic causes. Uh, What their goal is with philanthropy is to control where their money goes and uh, receive the recognition for whatever their contribution is. That's the main goal behind philanthropy. It's to like boost your image. So you can say, I did this. I served my community in this way. So it's not like altruistic. Now you can argue that there's no such thing as any altruistic action, which I would like probably tend to agree with that. But that doesn't mean, you know, you can't, like I said, donate money to the hospital, for example. But as the general public at the same time, this is not what we should be relying on, right? This kind of position in in terms of like philanthropy is kind of like developed from the idea that, oh, well, if rich people give back, our rich corporations give back to the community through these causes, you know, then we don't have any reason to complain that they've amassed that level of wealth to begin with. Plus, it can be used, like I said, if something bad happened, if there was some kind of scandal that erupted, oh, you know, there was a bad mining accident. What I'm going to do as the owner of the mine who didn't, you know, put in proper safety regulations and, uh, you know, safety features to give people proper equipment, you know, here, I'm going to donate this. You know, I'm going to build a new building. I'm going to donate, make a scholarship. I'm going to give some money to the families that were, you know, then that looks good. That's a good PR move. And then also from philanthropy, there is the question of tax breaks. 
like a lot of time these charitable donations setting up foundation like it's a way to like have like tax write-offs well, i'm not going to get deeply into uh taxation financial related stuff because it can get very complicated very fast but uh, i'm sure you can look i had a video that i had seen but i can't i cannot find it but i'm sure if you look up stuff you can see um kind of benefits tax benefits you get uh you know for doing making a uh, charitable donations or setting up foundations because it does give you nice financial uh, incentive to do that so the main takeaway here is that when you do these actions it's mainly about controlling how you spend your money and the recognition that you get for doing so right you can think of a, a few uh famous examples one being like the nobel prize because alfred nobel invented I forget what it's called, but it's not not TNT, but an explosive that was used. The main purpose was to be used for mining. But then something goes boom. People use it for more than just mining. They use it for explosives for for other things, for for weaponry. And he felt bad. So he's like, I'm going to set up a foundation that's going to promote positivity or, or, or peaceful, positive contributions to society. So it was a way of like redefining his legacy. So instead of being known as someone that brought this terrible uh, weapon into the world, oh no, now we think about the Nobel Prizes, right? In writing, uh, the Peace Prize, uh, you know, in like uh, the sciences. I know some people are going to say economics, but the Nobel family disputes the inclusion of the economics prize because it's administered by like a bank. And not the actual Nobel Foundation. But anyways, we're not going to get into that right now. But that was a way to redefine his legacy by setting that up. And I believe the same is true for the Pulitzer, which is an award for like a journalist. And you have like a whole bunch of other awards, like I said, or scholarships or, or like institutions set up purely to rehab or rehabilitate one's image. Now, not everything is based on rehabbing an image, but, you know, certainly helps. But again, the main point philanthropy beyond just like positive PR that or, or how you how you kind of shape and mold your public perception one of one of the I guess foundational things that it does is kind of obfuscate you know people questioning why should any individual or corporation acquire large amounts of wealth right it's, it's like an answer back to that question by saying oh no we're giving it away right Jeff Bezos has you know like 90 billion dollars but that's okay because he's giving it away he's going to give 99% of it away but the question I have is how do we know that who's keeping track and who gets it that's the thing I don't like is like why do we have to beg you know who's going to get it who's going to receive it when is it going to happen those are questions we don't know because whoever's whether it's a foundation whether it's a person whether it's a corporation whether it's a family we don't know they could say uh you know what i changed my mind i don't want to anymore you know they could say oh yeah we've done that we're going to do that and never do it and we're not going to know unless they show us our financials no way of knowing that in the video if you go watch it the person that i'm talking about when he talks about uh, this idea of philanthropy one of the, one of the questions he raises is you know you know what company can you name that has achieved civil rights for people right so when you think in the u.s the fight for civil rights what companies were there who can you say got the woman's vote right which which companies were there and said yes we're, we're going to help you achieve equality right so you donate money to things you set up foundations, you set up scholarships, set up prize, whatever it is, but they're small, superficial things. At the end of the day, who is responsible for, you know, signing the Civil Rights Act or getting it signed in 1965, right? What corporation did that? Even today now, if you want to think about like trans rights or gay, gay rights, what corporation has ensured 
that those rights are protected. None of them. Like appearing at a pride parade doesn't guarantee, it doesn't create equality or acceptance amongst people who are uh, LGBTQ, whatever. And I don't say that dismissively. I just mean there's a whole bunch of other things that I'm unaware of. But which corporations have done that? Just because you march at pride or you, you, you know, you advertise at pride. How does, how is that insured? What piece of legislation have they introduced or pushed for that will guarantee the right to marry? Now, I know it's already passed in the U.S. and Canada, but anywhere in the world, where, which corporation was responsible for that, right? And the answer is like none of them, right? So it's better to focus on like taxing the super rich or mega wealthy, uh, you know, appropriately. So that way we can fund public programs to support individuals in society so you have a good education system so you don't need to necessarily rely on like college scholarships because like i said is it bad to have a scholarship support someone or support kids to go into school no in and of itself is not bad but then you got to turn around and ask the question well why don't we have a better education system where kids of any economic background can go to school whether that's like elementary school middle school high school uh, university college why was that not a better system to have so that way everyone goes to school you don't got to worry about it because at the end of the day whoever is setting up that scholarship can't say hey i'm setting up a scholarship to send kids to school you can't say that you can't lay claim to that that can't improve your legacy right that's something important but i would rather have the system where everyone can go to school and you you know you don't have to beg essentially some rich person or corporation to give you money to go to school because you can't afford it from reasons or for reasons that are beyond your control to me that's not a good system to have now can you have someone who wants to do something extra on the side yeah sure like i said uh in terms of like giving money to a hospital yeah that's cool but what if we had a well-funded public health system and that way people can get treatments and medications or being checked out by a doctor for whatever illness or malady or whatever it is they don't have to depend on like oh wow i hope this rich uh, corporation will donate some money to the hospital that's underfunded and understaffed then we can avoid that you don't have to wait on someone to do quote-unquote good so i think that would be a better use of the resources that exist in our society if we had a system set up like that instead of, uh, you know, a rich family corporation, an individual committing something like that, like when I say committing, I mean committing money to something like that. Now, if, you know, we have a good funded system and then, you know, you want to do something extra, something else, something outside of it where, you know, I want to donate this, I want to build this. Okay, that can still exist. That's still a possibility. Like I said, I'm not against it in general, but it, it takes away from like addressing the needs of individuals in our society, you know, kind of like on a broader basis. So one example here uh, we'll talk about just a little bit is the is the Sackler family. Now, if you don't know the Sackler family, there's been, uh, you know, quite a bit of protest against them over the past couple of years because they are the, I guess, owners of what's the name of the, the company? Purdue or Purdue Pharma. So if you're not familiar with Purdue Pharma, which I was not before reading this too much, you may know a drug that they make. They're a pharmaceutical company. If you couldn't tell by pharma, they make pharmaceuticals. They make drugs. You may have heard of this drug, Oxycontin. So they produce Oxycontin, which is a painkiller, which is an opioid. And it's something that has contributed greatly to the opioid crisis that has been developing probably for at least the past 20 years. And more recently, it's gotten worse and worse as people become addicted to painkillers. One of the way people have become addicted to these painkillers is because they're constantly being prescribed by doctors. And part of the reason why they're constantly being prescribed by doctors 
for people who don't really need, you know, this kind of uh, pain medication is because companies like Purdue were pushing doctors to sell their drug because the point of a company as I have repeated many times in this episode and in others, is to create value for shareholders, right? It's not about the well-being of, uh, you know, patients. And th this rings true for like all medical companies. Like when you read into how medical companies or medical corporations work, it's kind of like, are they good? Are they? Because one of the tenets of medical practice is to like do no harm, right? You're supposed to do, well, I don't say good, but you're supposed to help people. I don't say do good because it just sounds weird. Do good. You want to do good. <laughs> you know, you want to not cause harm, right? As a doctor or whatever in the medical field, you're supposed to help people. That's the point. But when you get like money involved, it becomes questionable. Are you actually helping people? Like I understand some people go through huge surgery and they're in a lot of pain and you need medicines to kind of mitigate that pain. So sometimes an opioid may be the right prescription to have to help someone, like I said, mitigate the pain that they may be having from like a major operation that they had or it could be some other kind of form of pain. But sometimes it makes sense. OK, yeah, we got to prescribe this powerful pain medication. This will help you. But as with like a lot of drugs, that's why we get like super drugs and stuff. This eventually becomes over prescribed because the companies that make these drugs need to make a profit. So it's not enough to just, you know, uh, here and there. No, no, no. You got to you got to you got to keep prescribing it. You need to push it on people who don't necessarily need that strong of a pain medication, right? So, you know, where does the do no harm part factor in? At what point, at what point does that kick in? That's something that's a bit of an unknown because I don't know, it's really complicated really fast. But anyway, getting back to the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma, people have been pushing back against them because of their role in the opioid crisis, because you leave people who become addicted to it especially people who didn't really need to take opioids for whatever their pain was or for whatever the reason was for prescribing it in the first place. And there's been like a lot of people dying and overdosing because uh, they're addicted to it. And people started looking at, well, who is providing Oxycontin? There's other drugs, but Oxycontin is kind of like the big one. And, and people looked into, oh, okay, it's a Sackler family and they've been protesting them. And uh, if you look them up, I'll, I'll include a, um, an article that I came across from the New York Times that kind of discusses the opioid crisis and the Sackler family's role in it and people protesting the Sackler family. They've had a couple of things like that they've donated, you know, so they might, you might see like the Sackler wing at the museum. I think it was like the Guggenheim that they had donated money to because they're a very rich, wealthy family, right? They're profiting off people being addicted to, to opioids, right? The same kind of way you might think of like uh, someone who runs a drug cartel profiting off, you know, people getting high on like uh, uh, crack or meth, same kind of thing, except, one is legal and one is illegal. But anyway, people have been protesting them and I believe they took their name off whatever it was, the wing that they had like donated to, to the Guggenheim because the public pressure was too much and a few other institutions removed uh, basically all reference to the donations that they made. And why did they make those donations? They make them so, so, so they look good so that you can say, ah, yes, I provided like a new wing or donated like this, uh, these, these materials these works of art to the museum so the public can enjoy them. We set up a foundation. We set up a, a, a scholarship. That's just there to make you look good. But in, at least in this case, people are pushing back. People are saying, hey, this is not right. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah, you donated money to the Guggenheim and other institutions and maybe you set up this and that. That, that. That's cool, but like we still can't get past the fact that you know, you are primarily responsible. Well, I don't know primarily, but you definitely have a significant role in this ongoing opioid crisis by, by manufacturing drugs that people are being prescribed with when maybe they don't actually need it. So that becomes a huge problem. 
So like I said, I'll leave that there and you can read that article if you want to find out more information. It's pretty interesting. Another thing, uh, another example here that I'll look at is, uh, as you may or may not know, I, your podcast person, am located in Montreal, Canada. So in Canada, in Montreal, hockey is a pretty big deal. So we had a player here on the Montreal Canadiens, which is the NHL team that plays here in Montreal, P.K. Subban, who was a popular defenseman. He was traded to Nashville a few years back, and then I think has since been traded to New Jersey. But he's someone who, uh, although he himself is from Toronto, but he's someone who ingrained himself into the community here um, in, I don't know, I guess, pretty significant, profound way. And I don't know, because I don't know the exact timeline uh, for all this, because I don't know, at the end of the day, it's not like super important. But he did pledge to donate money to the children's hospital. Now, I don't know if he announced it publicly after he left just to say, hey, yes, this is what I was planning on doing, but I got traded, but I'm still going to do it kind of thing or, or, or not. I can't remember exactly how it went down. But one of the things after he was traded that uh, some people have come out and said, I don't know if he said himself or this is what other like journalists had like learned or the people had like learned and they didn't really say anything before uh but they felt they needed to share because he, uh, he because of his impact on like the community uh is that while he was a member of the the montreal canadians like every weekend he would go to the children's hospital and visit sick kids there right and so you're you know you're a little kid and you have some kind of probably terminal illness and you know you have like a hockey player because you know a lot of canadian kids enjoy hockey uh, being in montreal most likely a house fan. And so, hey, to come and meet a hockey player, that's pretty cool. But he would come every week, but he never publicized. Like I said, this only really came out after he was traded. You know, it wasn't a big media event every time he came down. Like you, like, like I'm someone who's like a fan of him. And, you know, I follow hockey and, and all that stuff. But I didn't, like, I was not aware that that he would go and like visit uh, these children. I don't know if it was every single weekend, but on a regular basis. So I was like, okay, that's pretty, like, you know. Of course, your your immediate thought is, it's a cool guy. Now, I'm not saying he did it. For those accolades, I'm sure he did it because he probably wanted to help in some small way, bring some, you know, joy to those kids' lives by being, by getting a chance to meet, uh, you know, a, a player uh, on the Montreal Canadiens. Like I said, he didn't make fanfare of it. You know, he's not posting on his IG or, <laughs> or streaming live like, hey, I'm going something he did on his own time. You know, and it's something that's like, I would say is like commendable. Now, is it 100% altruistic at the end of the day i don't think it well like i said i don't think anyone could do anything 100 percent altruistically but to me that's a that's a noble cause as a noble pursuit you know if he did publicize going like when when the canadians because all professional sports teams like do this when they have like the day that whatever local sports team comes to visit is that bad no again because like it brings uh you know joy to to the kids i'm not saying like you well, no, you shouldn't do that because, you know, you're, you just selfishly want to make yourself look good. I'm like, no, but it is something to consider when evaluating such things. Does it make it bad in and of itself? But I would say there's a difference. There's a difference between, you know, the Canadians having like a public day where they say, hey, we're going to the children's hospital compared to a player or even, even if it was a whole team went unannounced and didn't make a big deal of it and you never even knew. There's a difference. There's a reason why something like that is announced. So I'm going to contrast this with LeBron James, who has a I Promise school and like I Promise scholarship. And so I was looking at this example, not even to really be critical of it, just to highlight 
Because, you know, if LeBron James wants to set up a scholarship or a school where kids in the, I believe, Cleveland uh, area can go to school who otherwise otherwise would not have the chance, you know, I would say, yeah, I'll help those kids out for sure. But again, I would go back to maybe it would be better because nothing, like I said, there's nothing against like LeBron James. Like I would want those kids to get help or to be able to go to school, to have those uh, opportunities. But why the, the bigger question should be why are we not focusing on creating a education system in the Cleveland area or the whole state of Ohio, whatever? Why, why, why don't we have a, an education system that can support, that is well-funded, that can send kids to, to, to school who would otherwise not have the financial means to go? No, I know it gets into a long, complex social economic history of like, you know, blacks being segregated uh, in the U.S. or even other lower economic areas. You know, there's a whole bunch of factors as to why certain areas uh, don't are not as economically prosperous. So we're not going to get into all those complexities because that would just take up too much time to, 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 to get through all that. But like the idea of having a school like that isn't bad in and of itself, but it should uh, the system itself should be properly funded. So that there really is no need for LeBron James or any, you know, rich person or corporation to make a school like that. You say, okay, we don't need, I mean, yeah, sure, you can go here if you want, but we have a well-funded system. So any, any child can go. But when I was looking into the school, I found out that it's, it's, in this case, it may not even be that helpful. Apparently, it's going to put like an $8 million stress on, on the public school system. Yeah, it's going to cost the district $8 million a year. To run it once it's fully up because i think they're still setting it up it's not 100 percent complete right now and they're kind of like the the, the school district is kind of like I, I don't know if we can afford that so that's the other thing sometimes you have to question like is this actually helpful overall is this creating a net benefit a net positive if the school system is like or the school district is like this is going to put more financial stress than I'm like, I don't know, because this gets into, like I said, more complex financial dealings between all these, you know, parties involved. And I don't know all the economics uh, and history around like Ohio or, or Cleveland and all that stuff. But to me, it would make me uh, oh, Cleveland, Akron. Sorry, I believe. Sorry, I said <laughs> Cleveland because he played for the Cavaliers, but Akron, I forgot he's from Akron, Ohio. But the point still stands, right? Is this ultimately, at the end of the day, is going to be helpful to that community? Like I said, I think it would be more helpful if they could have a properly funded education system so all kids can benefit. Because the other thing is parents wanting to get their kids into that school, right? They can only take in a certain amount of kids. I don't know what the cutoff is, but what happens to all the other kids? I'm not necessarily saying it's LeBron James' fault that he can't support everyone, although he probably could support a lot of people given that he makes a lot of money. But you could say that of all rich people, families, corporations, right? The money exists in the world where we could, you know, make it so that people can be at least, you know, you know, well off, have what they need. So talking about the LeBron James school, it makes me think of The Office, if you're familiar with The Office, the NBC show based off the BBC show, also called The Office, where we had, was it Scott's Tots, right? That was Michael Scott's philanthropic effort to send a bunch of kids. If they got, well, I don't know if it was like A plus average, he would pay for their uh, schooling, uh, post, post-secondary, uh, schooling. So, uh, university, uh, college level schooling. And it's funny in the show because Michael doesn't have the money to actually do it. And so, you know, he goes to the school, they're going to give him a, an award. You know, the kids, you know, have like speeches and they're so excited that they're going to have their college tuition paid for. Obviously they're happy because it's like, otherwise we would not have the opportunity to go 
to college. Now, obviously, the humor is derived in the fact, at least for the audience, that Michael Scott doesn't have the money. He just kind of did it to look good. And that right there highlights, you know, that's a good example of what the problem with philanthropy is. He did it just to look good. In this case, you couldn't actually back it up, right? But to me, that, that encapsulate, encapsulate, oh man, why can I not say that word? That encompasses the entire problem right there with philanthropy. He did it just to look good. At the end of the day, when you do things like that, do these big gestures, giving away money, just to look good. And like I said, in a general broader basis, it kind of takes away from people saying, you know, we don't need any kind of tax reform or anything like that because we're going to give our money away if we're if we're a rich company we're a rich family if i'm a rich person i'm giving my money away you'll need to tax me i'm going to give it to you anyway so what's the point right it takes away from the argument takes away from that conversation about saying you know why don't we have things that are properly funded another example i have that i read about recently is kyrie irving now we're not going to get into his uh belief that the earth is flat or whatever. Uh, I hope uh, he no longer believes that the earth is flat. But anyways, Kyrie is, if you, if you follow basketball at all, if you know about him, he's a bit of a controversial uh, figure. He's a bit of enigmatic player. But outside of all that, he does things that, you know, I'd say are pretty good. So now, and he doesn't make big fanfare over it. At least I don't think what I'm about to say came from him directly. Things other people talked about it, because obviously if you do something and you say, hey, I did it, other people may talk about it, but I don't think his mind is at, oh, I need to do this to look good. But like I said, I understand not everything's 100% altruistic. But again, that's not the point. Things don't have to be 100% altruistic. So during the, the the this past year, obviously, we've been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. And for professional sports, they stopped for a bit uh, in North America and I'm sure other parts of the world. And so for the NBA and the WNBA, they set up their bubble systems once the season's kind of like resumed, uh, I think, in August. I think the WNBA also started around the same time in August. But some players in different sports opted to not play during the pandemic, at least for the end or the resumption of the 2020 season, 2019, 2020 season. And there are several WNBA players who were like, "Nah, I can't for whatever reason, I can't continue playing right now. And it's totally up to them. I mean, there is a, 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 a pandemic, daily virus going around. Uh, there was also a whole bunch of issues that had come up about race relations and police brutality towards blacks in the U.S. Some people felt, I can't do this. Some players in the WNBA, there's bigger things going on right now. Right now it's not the time to play sports. And I respect their decision. That's up to them. But if you don't play, you don't get paid. And so some, some players, if you sat out, you know, you're also sitting out your contract. So you're not getting paid. And so Kyrie, man, he, like I said, I don't think he publicly announces, I think, I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. I don't really recall. I can't remember how it went down. <laughs> Could I have looked this up? Maybe. But at the end of the day, it's not super important. But he stepped in. And uh, I don't know if he took care 100% of what they certain WNBA players would have made. Or like, you know, contributed significantly to whatever it is they would have made. But he basically supported them. and said, yeah, if anyone who doesn't, I got you. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I'm going to cover you. You know? So, like I said, they didn't make a big deal of it. It did come out because if. People are saying, yeah, Kyrie said he would uh, he would back me up. People are going to report on it. It's going to be talked about. But he didn't hold like a press conference or nothing saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. Right. So that that kind of like how you go about it. But if Kyrie, who's someone who is just an NBA player, the owners of those WNBA teams could have chosen to still financially support the players who generate value for them. Right. At the end of the day. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, you're paid to play. So if you don't play, you don't get paid. And. Again, I think that's a dumb, dumb position to hold. You know, they're not just sitting out just because. <laughs> they're not going, 
well, I just don't feel like showing up today. So, you know, you can't ignore what's going on in the world. Or some people don't want to be exposed to, to the virus. Right? I'm not saying that playing is guaranteed exposure, but it does increase the risk of being exposed. So some people said, hey, I, don't, I really don't want to do that. So I don't know. You take a look at something like that. Someone like Kyrie stepping up saying, hey, uh, don't worry, I got you. Right. When the organization you are for won't even say, hey, I got you. You know, and, and, and as a player, you know, you're someone who gives your time, your energy, everything to to the team, right? Now, without going into the financials of the WNBA in terms of how much money they make, because it's not important, but the point is the players playing generate revenue for the league, for the owners, right? When you watch sports, you don't watch the owners unless it's a rare case where it's like a player owner, like someone like Mario Lemieux or something like that. But that's, you know, that, that that's the... Uh, Kind of like rare exception there. But generally speaking, you don't watch the owners play. Right. Just a quick aside, when when the when the championship trophy is awarded, I don't know what's true for all sports, but in basketball, definitely no. In hockey, I don't think it, the Stanley Cup goes to I don't think the first person lifts up the Stanley Cup is the owner of the team. I'm pretty sure it's the players. But in basketball, one thing that that kind of like irks me is that they hand the trophy to to like the owners of the team. And I'm like, you don't work for that. You don't do anything, right? You're not there. You're not on the floor playing. I'm not saying the owners shouldn't, or I think they call them governors now, but I'm not saying they shouldn't receive any recognition because I understand, yeah, they put money forth, you know, I'm assuming, well, I mean, we can get into... Uh, <laughs> these sports teams asking for public money to build arenas and facilities, which we do have an episode about, about uh, building arenas. If you want to go back and, uh, and check that out, it's one of our earlier episodes. If you want to give a listen where I talk to that, talk about that. So, I mean, they contribute in some way, obviously, but they're not the driving force. They're not what's driving revenue, right? No one, ha- I, I see like, uh, you know, playing, car- not playing cards, sports cards, like hockey cards, basketball cards, baseball cards are coming back into fashion. Where, where's the pack of team owners, right? No one cares about that. No one cares. No one has a card, a rookie card of like the owner of Chicago Bulls. No, you have a rookie card of, of, of Michael Jordan. You have a rookie card of LeBron James. No one's gonna, no one's gonna make a card about like Dan Gilbert, who I think is the owner of the of the Cleveland Cavaliers. No one's gonna have a, a, a basketball card of like Bell or Rogers, who own own the Raptors. It's clearly the players. So in this case, they should have been supported. Anyways, that's a little side tangent. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know I love a good side tangent. But anyways, wrapping this all up, because I think we're going to end here. It's probably went on a bit longer than I thought about, but that's okay. Sometimes things go on a bit longer. If you got the time to listen, listen. If you made it this far, I'm happy for you. But yes, we'll wrap it up there. So once again, uh, philanthropy, should we have it? Probably not, because it's not always a guarantee that it is better just in terms of whatever it is that the the effort is trying to do. But as a, a, a better way to go about things, I think, is like I said, creating a system where things are well-funded. So for example, education, healthcare, we had systems that were well-funded. I think that would be better than having someone who amasses like, let's say, $9 billion, $90 billion, whatever it is, more money than can possibly spend in a person's lifetime. That should not be allowed to happen. We should have things that are well-funded so everyone has a chance, like uh, using education as an example, everyone has a chance to go to school to, how, you know, whatever level school you want to go to. I think that'd be better than saying, oh, well, we don't need to do that because we have scholarships. I'm like, eh, it's not good enough. We can do better. We can do better. Of course, I have been your podcast person 
Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And this has been another episode of the all new, all different Aim for the Bushes. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, give us a rating. Show us you care. Show us that support. You know, think about the over analysis of this episode of other episodes because not everything is this deep sometimes of the subject matter i mean the analysis will always be probably deeper than it should be so everyone please stay safe stay tuned for the next episode peace